Good morning, church. Great seeing you. I want to say a big shout out to the Genesis class and to our altar guild for making sure that our facilities are just draped in beauty for the Advent season. So thank all of you for all the hard work. Uh, I saw some of the men coming in uh, from the Genesis class that helped set this up, and I was just concerned it might not get done, but uh, they did it anyway, so I'm much impressed with you guys. But it's good to see you. I hope you've had a good week. It's been a difficult week for many of us around here. You all, many of you already know we have two funerals on Tuesday uh, here in this room at 11 o'clock, Lynn Chandler. We will have her memorial service. And then at 1 o'clock at Lau Funeral Home, we'll have Bill Dunn's service. So I know many of you will be at those uh, services, and thank you ahead of time. Well, we begin a series today that parallels a book that some of our Sunday school classes are working through called An Unlikely Advent um, by Rachel Billups. And today, we're not going to follow the book here in the messaging uh, strictly by the book. And so today, though, we're going to look at an unlikely Advent character by the name of Joseph. Now, why an unlikely Advent? Well, if you read the story, the Christmas, the Advent story, uh, it should have never happened. I mean, if I were God, I'd have come up with a lot better plan. I know some of you are thinking, well, thank God you're not God. I agree, but if you just follow this story, there, it just, it's absurd. The Messiah was supposed to be a king. He's supposed to be all that and more. And yet we have this silly Christmas story where all that and more is nothing but that. It's sideline, marginalized, ragamuffin people which makes no sense. Not for the kingship of all the world. The savior of the world just makes no sense. But today, we're going to look at the person of Joseph. So again, if it were me writing the story, it would be different. I would have a rewrite. It'd be a lot better, or I thought. But the whole story, the very foundation of the story, tells us a great deal. So Joseph... I mean, we don't know much about Joseph. I, I, I imagine that's the reason we didn't get Father's Day until way after Mother's Day, because, you know, who cares? I mean, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just dads. But we don't hear much about him. Uh, we know, we learned growing up that he was a carpenter. However, actually the word there for carpenter really isn't carpenter. It's more, we don't have a good word in English. It's like an artisan, a tradesman. He could have been a mason, could have been a stone worker, uh, but some sort of tradesman. We know that's what Joseph was. And we also know that his family social standing, which was vitally important in the ancient world, would have been that of a peasant. Tradesmen, artisans, if you will, would have been a little bit lower than a farmer on the social standing, cultural standing of the day. A bit higher, slightly, than a shepherd, but at the bottom of the social rung of the ancient world. And actually, again, we don't know a whole lot about Joseph, but we have a number of stories and clues, clues in the beginning of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Luke's chapter 1 and 2, that tell us about this guy Joseph, the early, the father, the earthly father of Jesus. And today, we're going to see as we look at just a couple of things we know about him, that he was a man who experienced sorrow, heartache, and pain. And yet behind all of those things, there was joy that came later. So that we would have 
he would have, like many of us, been able to look back on the sorrowful places and the difficult places and say, Lord, I don't ever repeat those things, but thank you because they made me who I am. So when you think about Joseph, you think about when God chose Joseph to be the earthly father of Jesus, to raise the Messiah, do you think God chose a bad father or a good father? That's a question you're supposed to answer. Good father or bad father, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. Probably a good daddy. So here's what I want us to do, and this is not normal, but I've been with you over a year and a half. You certainly know by now that anything I'm surrounded with is not normal. So I want you to take just a few seconds to think about what are the attributes in your heart and mind of a good dad? What are the attributes of a good daddy? Think about it. Ten more seconds. Now, turn to somebody and just tell them one of those attributes. Just right now, we're just in church, we're all friends, just share with somebody one attribute that comes to your mind. For, if you're not near somebody, just yell across the hall. I don't, just tell them, what is a good father? One attribute. Uh, caring, I don't know. Caring, that works. Okay, time's up. We all should have had one. All right? Now, you all had time to share that. Now, on the count of three, I want you to tell me what yours were that you shared. One, two, three. Exactly. I didn't hear one of them, but all of them were right. And here's what I can say about the stuff that you said that was on your list. I'm pretty sure Joseph was just like that. Here's the reason I'm convinced. It's because when Jesus picked one word to describe his father God, he used the word father, Abba father. You remember, I'm pretty sure that if Joseph had been a bad dad, that Jesus would not have chosen father as that familiar relationship that he gave over and over, my father in heaven. He routinely uses that word referring to God. And so my gut is that's because he had a good, good earthly daddy. So the gospel story of Joseph and Mary begins with Mary engaged to Joseph. Now, just so you know, engagement at the time of the ancient days in the Jewish world really meant that you were meant to be married. And as a matter of fact, if you broke off the engagement, you had to get a divorce. It was that solidly linked. So they had to get a divorce even if they left each other during engagement. But they're engaged to be married and she finds that she's having a baby by the Holy Spirit and she comes to Joseph and she says, hey Joseph, I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. Well, Joseph knows good and well it isn't his. And I want you to imagine for a moment. You have to play some imagination here because we don't get it in the scriptures. He, what is he to do? You have to step in his shoes and say, I want you to imagine you're engaged to be married and the woman that you're excited to marry, that you're pledged to, comes to you and says, hey, I'm having a baby. How would you feel? I'm pretty sure you'd be heartbroken. I'm pretty sure you'd feel intense pain. I'm pretty sure that after that pain in the middle of the agony, you would also be ticked, angry. 
all of those feelings had to be going off in Joseph's head, right? I mean, it just makes sense. And also, you wouldn't be believing her story. That is evident in the scripture. He didn't believe what she was telling him. Do you blame him? So not only was he a good dad, he was a smart dude. Oh, you're having a baby. It's not mine. Oh, I guess something's different here, huh? If your fiance, your girlfriend, or for you women, a man that you were going to marry betrays you, can you imagine the feeling? Somebody cheated on you. It's just a terrible heartbreak. And one thing I want you to notice, this scripture doesn't tell us how long it took before the angel appeared to Joseph in his dream to tell him what was really going on. It could have been a night, it could have been ten nights, it could have been five weeks. We don't know the period of time. Can you imagine that feeling, that purgatory, that what do I do? And the one thing I also want you to notice is, just as a side note, Joseph struggled to believe in the idea that Mary was sharing with him that the Holy Spirit would give her a child. And so Mary says, no, it's not like that. An angel, the Holy Spirit, and Joseph doesn't believe her. I don't blame him. He's a righteous man. He doesn't believe her, and he decides to divorce her quietly because he's a good guy. He could have had her stoned, but he doesn't. So right here in the beginning of the Christ story, the Messiah story, the Advent story, we have betrayal, impossible divorce. Have you ever thought about that? That's not a good Christmas story. I mean, if I were to write it, it'd be different. But there it is. The first two things we hear about Joseph, really, in his story, is one of betrayal. So he thinks. I find this a little bit helpful when I visit and come to know people who struggle with the Christian story. They have doubt and they're skeptics. And people often just say, well, what, what, are you, what do you have concerns? Well, you know, that virgin birth story. And I say, I tell them, you're in, you're in good company because Jesus' earthly daddy didn't believe it either. But he came around. Joseph was not just the patron saint of fathers and father figures. He's a patron saint of skeptics and doubters as well. Do you blame him? So what does he do? Well, he experiences sorrow and despair. And then he hears in a dream, she hasn't cheated on you, Joseph. In fact, the, this baby is going to be part of God's plans. And Joseph, you're going to be a part of that. And there he found joy. But it only came after deep grief and sorrow. Have you ever noticed that in the rhythm of life? Sorrow, pain, frustration, and anger is often followed by joy. There'd be numerous heartaches for Joseph. I'm trying to watch the time. Y'all keep me. Oh, it's 11.28. What time should I finish? 12.30, thereabouts? Okay, all right, keep going. There'd be numerous heartaches for Joseph. He, he couldn't provide a decent place for his wife to have her baby. Do you remember He's actually in the cave of the house. We talk about the inn, but the inn is not the, the appropriate word there. It's an extra room. Often there'd be an extra room in people's houses where their family would come and stay. And usually, particularly in shepherd houses or people that kept animals, there was like a cave built in the side where they kept the animals, and that was the barn. 
So he couldn't even provide a place for his wife to have her baby, and this baby was born in a feeding trough. So sorrow comes with Joseph, can't provide the place. I can't imagine what that must have felt like for Joseph. The embarrassment, the humility. I can imagine that Mary's thinking, you mean you didn't call ahead and make a reservation? But he didn't. And yet you know, he experiences the sad of that. And he didn't know that there would be wise men to come and visit them with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Another sorrow comes when he hears, hey, you can't go back home. Herod is going to have the baby killed. And so they leave. And then they leave and they find out they can't come back home then because another guy has been raised up and he's going to kill the kid. And after all of that, they, God says, I want you to go to Nazareth. And he thinks, wait a minute, we can't go back home. I don't know anybody in Nazareth. I don't know anything there. I don't have a livelihood there. Go to Nazareth. And then Joseph makes way to Nazareth, not his home. He's somewhat of a refugee, he and his family, but he sets up shop as a carpenter or a tradesman, whatever he was, and raised Jesus there. And Jesus is shaped by what happens in the area of Galilee and an ancient town, Gnosophorus. And they learn, he learns about the Greco-Roman world and the Judeo world, and that's where Jesus is born. Have you ever lost a kid? Some of you are nodding your heads. It happened to us years ago. I think we were visiting my family in Florida, and we're at a mall. <clears throat> and Grant, our youngest one, we're just, you know, walking and that sort of thing. We're in a store, and all of a sudden we realize Grant, our youngest son, is nowhere to be found. Have any of you ever experienced that? A couple of you have? Thank you, Mary Holden. I appreciate that. Some of us are not great. The greatest parents in the world will lose our children. But we lost him. Even our older son, who was just a little bit older than our youngest son, we all just freaked. We called the security in the mall. And we're looking, I mean, I'm breathing heavy. We are panicked. It wasn't maybe five minutes, I don't know, ten minutes at the very most, and we hear a giggle. Coming from inside one of the rounders of clothes, he was playing hide-and-seek and hadn't told mom and dad that that's what he was doing. There was great relief, to be honest with you. I was, I was not happy with my youngest son. I just wanted to, well, I'm not going to say what I wanted to, but you get the point. I mean, how dare he do this to his mom and dad? And then I read this crazy Advent story. At the age of 12, Jesus goes AWOL. You remember the story? He's nowhere to be found. We're not talking about five minutes. We're not talking about ten minutes. We're talking about a day and a half. You see Mary and Joseph, they're coming back with thousands of people. They're with their family groups. They've been to count them, get counted, and they're going back home. And finally, Mary and Joseph catch up with each other about a day and a half into their journey. Hey, where's Jesus? Well, I thought you had him. What? I thought you had him. And then a whale. What? In a day and a half, their son is missing. They finally found him. You know the rest of the story in the temple teaching, and everybody's astonished. Well, can you imagine the horror? They're going back into the city. Are we going to find our son? Has he been kidnapped, killed, or otherwise? Where is he? I imagine that once Joseph saw him in the temple, he wanted to, had some of the same thoughts I had. 
And then the priest said, where did he get such knowledge? So panic and sorrow and worry followed by unbelievable joy. I wonder, has your life ever experienced unbelievable pain and then joy? If you continue to look at Joseph, you can find, and the Catholic folks are really good at this, they have a tradition of sorrow and joy that's about St. Joseph. So here's a man who knew a broken heart from his girl. He knew the disappointment in life and living in poverty. He knew the fear from someone who wanted to hurt he and his family. He knew what it was like to come back to his hometown and not be able to go there. He knew what it was like to be a refugee. He knew what it was like to experience a sense of fear and the loss, the possible losing of his child. Some terrible things could come his way. But on the backside of every one of those sorrows, there was joy and celebration. So I ask you this question. What kind of sorrows have you experienced in your life? And as you look back on those sorrows, do you see where some joys have come? I have told you before about Robert, my friend, who was in prison and became a Christian in prison and changed his life and got married and just wonderful life. But he will tell you, those 18 years of prison, he would never want to repeat, but he would never want to take anything from them because it made him who he was. My office at one of my church overlooked the playground. And that church had a daycare center that had special needs kids and normative needs kids. And Sarah and Mark had three wonderful children. One middle child was in our, our our preschool, our daycare center. And they had a little track that they had a little cement track. They'd take tricycles on and they'd ride around. There's a playground equipment out there. And I got to watch these kids just have tons of fun. But one of them, Siler, was just special to me. He had Down syndrome. And I remember I would just watch him and the kids would help him. And he was always laughing, always had a smile on his face. He was helping other kids. It was wonderful. See, I was talking to Sarah one day out in the hallway, and I said, and he would always come running down the hallway, pass away, pass away, and give me a big hug. And his mom said to me one day, we're just in conversation, she said, you know, I'll never forget the devastating news when he was born. And the doctor said, you know, he has a condition you're going to have to live with. And she said the pain and the disappointment and the fear that just gripped us and we cried and cried and cried. I'd cry him as I nursed him. I'd cry when I tried to take care of him. Cried, cried, cried. She said, but I never dreamed that our kids and my husband and I would find in him unbelievable joy. They said, we didn't know a house could have so much laughter and so much fun because Silent Lee lives here with us and he teaches us about life that we just forget about. She said, sometimes I wish he had all the capabilities of another kid. She said, but that I think, say thank you, Lord, for giving me our little boy.
who brings us unimaginable joy that we could never, ever have imagined. Have you noticed in life that sometimes in the sorrow and the depth of despair and hurt comes joy? That's kind of what the Advent season is about. It's an unlikely Advent because joy comes in places you can never imagine. What about for you? Are you experiencing sorrow or joy or a mixture of both? Where are you? What's going on? Do you anticipate that God can use our deepest despair to create something good within? No. It's unlikely, but most of the story is, if you listen to it. 